Welcome back. We are looking at episode four today. And this is really when, hi, mom and dad. <laughs> um, this is really when we get into the scripture meat of the series. Um, yay, Christina. So Christina's the, is, she's watching it. I'm guessing you watched episode four. She's watching it like in real time. So most of us have seen the episodes, but um, I love Christina's um, enthusiasm that she's watching it as we're going through. So um, my phone's ringing. Um, good. Oh, good. So she watched it last night. Um, so anyway, we're about to talk about episode four. And this is when we, when we get into kind of the meat of that um of the scripture. And so the other episodes have been kind of setting the scene. We talked about this in the first one um, that we kind of set the scene and, and had some character development, but now we really get into the scripture. And so that's what I really love about this episode. Um, Dallas did say that in the first couple episodes, some people were like distracted because they kept trying to find these stories in scripture. They were like trying to guess what scripture story um, he was alluding to. And I think we have to be careful to really just kind of approach this show um, as a new way to look at Christ rather than always trying to figure out like what characters, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to fall into that. Right. Um, I've done it with a lot of characters, like who's this going to end up being and where are we going with this? Um, but there's also something freeing about just kind of taking it in as a show. So I think there's pros and cons to both. Um but we're going to jump into to, uh, episode four. So let's begin with a prayer and let's invoke Our Lady on this great feast of Our Lady of Fatima. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So if you, I love that we're having snacks. So we have popcorn, we have chips and salsa. I just have my, my fruity water. Um, so I love that we're all gathering together every day. It reminds me of um, some of you watched Bible studies, virtual Bible studies during COVID. And we did a virtual Bible study three days a week. And so it kind of reminds me of that, that we kind of begin to have our little community, which I love. I know not all of you are, are commenting, but some of you message me afterwards. Um, and some of you say, you know, say I was watching today. So you might not be commenting, but you're here. And so um, I have family members here. I have cousins here. It's just really neat to, we have our own little community, which is, is it reminds me of our COVID Bible studies. Um, and that reminds me that I have put my Patreon link up at the very top. And and as part of my Patreon tiers to my supporters who are able to support me for $10 um, or more each month, we will be having virtual studies. So we'll have at least one a month. So it's not quite as extensive as the COVID time, but we will be doing this. And it's really exclusive for um, the people who support me. So I know a lot of you already are. So um, so we have wine. Oh, Christina, happy Ascension Thursday too. Christina's in one of those few dioceses who are on the ball and actually um, celebrating Ascension Thursday today too. So the rest of us have to wait for that fake Ascension Sunday. Um, our uh, Holy Spirit comes a lot faster than yours or something. I don't know. Anyway, let's jump into episode four. So, oh, Katie. Oh, nice. Oh, Gregory. So I have to shout out to my friend, Gregory. Um, Gregory Ginter was the star of our Bible study in person. And um, he was, you know, he, he really put up with kind of these 
older people. He came, how old were you, Gregory, at the time? Like six. And he came to our Bible study and he had great insight. Um, and so he's joining us virtually today. So that's awesome. So it's good to see that Gregory's here too. Okay. Episode four, enough chatting. So if you have questions, put them in the chat. Um, there are a few things about this episode that I think need some clearing up, which we'll do. But if you have episode or if you have questions or insights, put them in the chat. I like this idea that we're this community talking about the show together. So opening again, um, and I mentioned this yesterday, we jump right in to where we left off with episode two. So episode two, remember there was that evocative scene where Peter's leading the Roman soldiers with torches. Um, it reminds us of the Garden of Gethsemane, possibly, and this idea of betrayal. So the episode begins with that. And we have Peter looking, if you remember, he's made this deal with Quintus, with the Roman, um, that he will sp help the Romans spy on the Jews that are fishing on Shabbat. So why would the Jews be fishing on Shabbat when we just talked about on two days ago how important Shabbat rest was, right? The Sabbath rest is crucial. Why would Jews be fishing on Shabbat? Well, I don't actually know if this is historically um, accurate, but the premise that Dallas sets up is that Jews would be fishing on Shabbat to avoid taxes, because the Romans wouldn't be expecting them to fish on Shabbat, right? The seas would be empty on Shabbat. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know this is the case. On Saturday, the world shuts down. I mean, restaurants are closed a lot of times. Um, the buses and the trains in Jerusalem don't run on regular schedule, if at all. Um, I mean, I've been there for Yom Kippur when, this, when the country really shuts down. So that's what Dallas is kind of setting up, that maybe Jews were fishing on Shabbat to avoid Roman taxes because the Romans wouldn't expect them to fish on Shabbat. So Peter's there um, leading the Romans. And what does he do? He purposefully wrecks the Roman. He purposely tells the Romans to wreck their boat, right? Um, and that's why the Romans are so upset because Peter knows the sea. Peter knows when he says to go, you know, I forget whether he says to go to port or go to go, but he says whatever, starboard or whatever. And the Romans, they come up upon a sandbar. Why? Because if you remember, Peter reached into the water and found a fishing bottle. And later he'll be at the hammer at the bar and he'll remind Zebedee, I found your fishing bobble, right? So it had a Z on it. So he he got it out of the ocean he or the Sea of Galilee. He looked at it, it had a Z on it for Zebedee. And he realized these weren't some big merchants. These were his friends that he was going to have to betray. So he wrecks the boat on purpose. Um, obviously, hopefully you caught the fact that they cut his ear, right? You know, not even uh, we're not even trying to hide the foreshadowing here, I don't think. Um, so Peter gets his ear cut. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Malchus. Right. I actually thought at one point that I heard in one of the in, in this episode, at one point, I thought I heard them referring to the um, the soldier as Malchus. But I think I imagined it. Um, but it totally like, can't you just see it being Malchus? And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, you know, he gets his revenge. I don't know if that's going to happen, but. Gets his ear cut. Um, total foreshadowing of Garden of Gethsemane when in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter chops off Malchus's ear um, and Peter and Christ heals it. Right. Um, so Peter gets his ear cut. Peter goes to the bar and admits his deal to Zebedee and James and John. So Zebedee's the father of James and John, the future apostles. He admits the deal, but then he tries to cut a deal with Zebedee, right? And so that's that whole conversation in the hammer. 
So he's trying to cut a deal with Zebedee. He's like, give me your fish. We'll call it even. Um, and Zebedee's like, no, because they're not just my fish. They're also the fishers of all those workers that were working that night. Okay. Um, I have to admit the ear cut. I loved when Peter said my wife's favorite ear that cracked me up. I'm a big fan of Simon and Eden's relationship. So I like those little moments. Um, we had that scene with Quintus and Matthew, again, really pulling out um, Matthew's, um, Matthew's observation, Matthew's um, interaction socially. We're getting a lot of character development for Matthew. But I want to pull one thing out of what Quintus said in that. Um, so Quintus is noting kind of the fruits of Galilee, um, the pomegranates and, and all the, the fruits of the land. And I want to kind of pull that out for those of you who might not have been to the Holy Land. You might picture, as I did for so many years, the Holy Land being a desert. Um, we think of the dry heat of, of the desert, right? Um, and if we're talking about Judah, if we're talking about southern um, Israel, if we're talking about Jerusalem and the surrounding area, it is very deserty. It's very barren. Galilee is the exact opposite. So when I've been in Galilee, it's actually been harvest time for a lot of these fruits, um, for dates, for pomegranates, for avocados. Um, and so we would drive past these fields and fields and fields. I want to say bananas. I'm trying to remember. Um, and like something like mangoes, like things that you wouldn't expect to be growing in this area. It's very lush and green and verdant. Um, and so when Quintus is talking about the good fruit of the land, that's because he's up in, in Galilee. Um, the Golan Heights, which most of us know from the... Um, the 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 the, um, the ongoing um, war between Syria and Israel and who owns the Golan Heights um, that's like Napa Valley for Israel so all the wines that are coming out of Israel are coming from the Golan Heights so it's a very verdant lush area so Quintus talks about um, you know the fruits of the land and he's obviously very um, anti-Semitic right he 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 just speaks disparagingly of the Jews, but he says something profound. You worship one God and yet you're divided. Um, and at the time, even today, um, it's, it's very, um, it's, it's not accurate to kind of speak of the Jews believe X or the Jews believe Y. There's not, um, there's great disparity in Jewish belief, even today. So if you talk to a Jew, a, a, a Jew you'll have one um, you know, one outlook of Judaism. Um, it's very, it's very different even than Catholicism, but, um, but he's talking about the divisions more than anything. And we see it with the Pharisees and the scribes, right? Um, we see it, sorry, with the Sadducees, the Sadducees and the Pharisees don't even believe in the same canon of scripture, right? The Sadducees only believe in the Torah, the five books. Those are the only, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch are the only things they believe are inspired by the Holy spirit. Um, so, so you have this like this this division, but I think what Quintus is saying isn't just true for Jews in the first century, but is very true for us. Um, you think of Dallas making this program not just for you know one stripe of Protestantism, but for Protestants and for Catholics and for Christians and for unbelievers. But um, you know we all worship one God all the Christians, but we are so divided. And so what Quintus says should resonate with us as well, that we claim to believe in one God, but we are so divided. Um, 
and I'm not even just talking about Protestants and Catholics. I'm talking about within our own parishes, within our own communities. Um, and that's a scandal. That's a scandal to the faith. Um, there are there are countless people out there that don't believe in Christianity because they see the divisions, the divisions within Christianity, which God never intended, um, and the divisions within our own communities and our own hearts, right? We're a divided people. So what Quintus says is laced with anti-Semitism, but um, he just is looking down on the Jews. But I think it's a good reminder for all of us um, to fight that division and to find wholeness in Jesus Christ. Um, so then he commissions Matthew, right, to go spy. And this really sets the scene for Matthew's observations. And um, it really sets the scene for him to write something much greater than an account of Simon's whereabouts, right? He's going to be using these powers of observation for a much greater purpose, as we'll see in the coming episodes. So um, the Pharisees are upset because of John the Baptist. This is our first introduction to John the Baptist. And it's essentially, we're really getting into scripture here because what they, um, this whole exchange with the Pharisees um, is, is Luke 3. So if you read Luke 3, that is where um, we have John the Baptist um, calling out the scribe, calling out the Pharisees um, as um, broods of vipers, right? Um, we have him talking to slaves of what they should do. We have him talking to soldiers. Um, and so he's called this voice crying out in the wilderness and he's teaching and the multitudes are asking him, what should we do? So that exchange that Nicodemus comes upon about the Pharisees are worried about this guy comes from Luke three. So we're beginning to get into the gospels really. So this episode really focuses on Simon. And so we're going to look at Simon for the rest of our time together. Um, we have some character development with Simon. We hear, we we kind of gather from his exchange with Eden. Um, so Eden's mother-in-law is going to live with, the, or Eden's mother is going to live with them, setting up another scriptural story. So again, if you know scripture, you're like, I know where this is going, right? Um, but we have this character development of Simon. We know he's popular, right? He's charming. He fixes everything, right? So Eden's kind of, um, you know, almost condemning this self-reliance that he has because he needs to learn that it's all not up to him. So this is going to be Simon's stumbling block, right? He needs to learn that he's not the fixer of the world. He needs to learn that humility that sometimes he needs someone else, right? He needs the Lord. So Simon's in the driver's seat, but he needs to be somewhere else. Right. And so that's going to be kind of Simon's big wake up call. That's going to be Simon's big conversion. And so Eden kind of challenges him in, in her own faith and in, in her own faithfulness. Maybe God can get your attention now. So Simon's at that low point where he doesn't know how his problems are going to be resolved. Right. Um, and that's often where conversion happens, right? It's when we're at that low point that God can get our attention. When we realize I don't have all the answers and I have a problem that can't be solved by my own intelligence, by my own charm. I'm not going to talk myself out of this, right? And his problem gets even worse when he runs into Matthew and he finds out he doesn't have a couple days. He has one day. And so he doesn't need to pay the debt by the end of the week. He needs to pay the debt now because the Romans are on to him, right? He's not talking himself out of it this time. So um, so Peter's in a pickle. I love when he says faith isn't going to get me any fish, right? So clearly setting up that Peter, 
Peter is not looking for a miracle. Um, he is not looking for um, answers from the Lord, but the Lord's going to give him one anyway. The Lord's going to give him one anyway. One of my favorite parts of this episode is Peter's prayer. So um, he recounts the history of the chosen people and it's such a real prayer. And I love that. Um, he cries out to the Lord and it reminds me a lot of Teresa of Avila's quip. You know, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Right. Um, you know, he's really wrestling with the Lord. Like, are we your chosen people or not? They actually, if you get the chosen Bible study, which is definitely not Catholic, but um, there's some good parts to it. I have to say it's good. Um, they actually have the, the text of his prayer um, in the introduction. Um, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens. And then what, huh? Make the chosen as many of the stars, only to let Egypt enslave us for generations. Bring us out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, only to let us wander in the desert for 40 years. Give us the land, only to exile us in Babylon. And again and again and again, right? So he's he's recounting this history. Um, and first of all, I don't think God minds prayers like this. Um, I think he likes us kind of being vulnerable and being honest with him. Um, he doesn't mind this honest prayer that's shouted in a struggle. Um, the worst is when we stop speaking to him. That's the worst. But when we are really honestly struggling and we're crying out to him and we're honest, um, I don't think he minds that. And I have a friend who's watched The Chosen who has a lot of Jewish friends. And he, he was like, man, this is a Jewish prayer. Um, that that this like real honesty and like giving the Lord you know, kind of what for, um, and the Lord can take it really. Um, but it's interesting. It's all about our perspective. So, so, so Peter's recounting the chosen people's history, but it's all about perspective because he recounts the history and he's neglecting to notice that every time Israel sinned their way into slavery, right? They sinned their way into exile and suffering, and every time God redeemed them. So, so Peter's recounting all the misfortune, neglecting the fact that God got him out of the scrapes, right? Um, and he's about to do it again, right? He's about to do it again for Peter. Wendy, absolutely. Moses and David complained in prayer. I think of Abraham kind of wagering with the Lord at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, like, well, what if I have 30 good men? What if I have 20 good men? What if I have 10 good men, you know, um, kind of really like, like bartering with the Lord. Um, and David, if you read the Psalms, absolutely David complains in prayer. He really cries out to the Lord. Um, I think so often our prayers are pretty shallow um, and formulaic and aren't actually emotional. If you read the Psalms, that's some emotion. That's some honesty with the Lord, right? That's some honesty with the Lord. Um, so that I just feel like Peter's prayer is very honest and very open. And while it could be seen as him not having any faith, I actually think it comes out of his faith. Um, ultimately, Christina, absolutely. Uh, Peter, the 40 years of wandering was the Jews own fault. Right. Um, and so it's all about our perspective. And so often I'm writing a talk right now on anxiety and worry. And so often anxiety and worry comes from this lack of perspective where um, we fail to see how often the Lord is the one that gets us out of these scrapes. The Lord's in charge, not us. So James and John and Zebedee come to help out Peter, right? Um, again, sorry, my foot's falling asleep. Nothing like some honesty here, right? Um, 
again, there's that, that really uh, adorable thing where Peter's like, you know, my last night is a free man and I'm out fishing. Right. So that's clearly the way Eden, how Eden feels about this whole situation. It's his last night and he's out fishing. Um, so Jesus comes along and of course there's this, the dramatic scene, Andrew recognizes him. So um, that's going to be a reference to the fact that in John's gospel, um, Andrew and John follow the Messiah after John the Baptist points him out. Um, and that's the great thing, right? Peter's like, John, I don't care who creepy John points, that creepy John pointed to somebody. Um, so he's talking about John the Baptist, right? So Andrew's like, we found the Messiah. And Peter's like, I don't care that creepy John pointed to somebody. Um, so Andrew's already met the Lord. So this is one of the stories that um, Dallas is trying to put everything in a chronological order but we have different chronologies in the different gospels. So in John's gospel, um, you know, we don't have the stories in every gospel, but so in John's gospel, John and Andrew met the Lord through John the Baptist. And so he kind of worked that in that Andrew would have known him through John the Baptist. Um, and it's actually beautiful in John's gospel. They actually remember the exact hour that they met the Lord. Um, and that shows us that this, this meeting was so impactful that John will say it was about four in the afternoon. Why? Cause I remember why? Cause it changed my life. And I love that. I love that call that story. Um, so, okay. So Debbie, James, John, Andrew, they all come to help Peter out and the Lord comes and the Lord works this miracle. Right. Um, very, very powerful. Um, they know how to create this, right. With the music and very powerful. Um, one of my favorite moments during this miracle was Jesus laughing. We talked yesterday about the Lord being fully human. And I think this is one of those moments where Jesus just bursts out laughing. Um, I think that's the way Jesus sees us when we're surprised by his goodness, right? How often we've been surprised by something the Lord has done, some little tiny miracle he's worked, some coincidence that happens and we're surprised by it. And we're, we're gladdened by it. And he's gladdened by us, right? He laughs out of joy. He's, he's, I, I think I talked about it in the first, um, the first time we, our first chat, but um, the Lord delights in his people. And I think we see Christ delighting in this. And I love that. I love the way he laughs at them. Um, so Peter, you know, gets down in his unworthiness. This is straight out of the gospels, right? Straight out of the call of Peter. And it was actually Jonathan Rumi who plays Jesus. It was Jonathan's idea to get down with Peter. So if you notice, Peter's down and he looks up at Jesus and what happens, but Jesus actually comes down to be eye to eye with Peter. And that was Jonathan's idea. And it reminded me of the mystery of the incarnation that Christ humbles himself, um, that he comes down to meet us, to raise us up, to make us like him. And so that's the great mystery of, of the, the exodus and the, the return to the Lord. But um, the Eastern idea that, that, Christ, that Christ humbles himself to become like man, to raise us to become like God. So, so, so Jesus humbles himself to get down at the level of Peter. Um, he, he lowers himself to where we are, to what we need, and then he raises us up. Um, he has this great line, I will sort them out later, based on his parable that he tells on the seashore, which is found later in the Gospels, but the parable of the net, right, that he's going to gather all the fish, and they'll be sorted out later. 
And I remember that um, Dallas spoke about this approach of the chosen to simply tell the story of Jesus, that a lot of times the comment boxes on Instagram or Facebook will get um, filled with people's theological disagreements over something. And Dallas said, you know, I didn't make the chosen to get into theology. He's like, I like to talk about theology and I like to talk about different, um, you know, theological arguments, but that's not why I made the chosen. I made the chosen to introduce Jesus to people. And I'm going to let, I'm just going to bring people to Jesus and let him sort them out later. Um, And so he really sees this ministry as just bringing the story of Jesus to people and Jesus will sort them out later. And while I think theological discourse is important and I think there's truth and truth is black and white. um, I do think sometimes we get so hung up with our theological minutia that we fail to just meet, meet the other in Christ. We fail to just tell them the story of Jesus um, or, or speak about what the Lord's done in our life. And so this is a good reminder. Let Jesus sort them out later. Um, we can probably learn from that. I love Peter's reaction. You know, do you just want to do this a few more times? Um, how how real that is. Um, they've had this amazing catch that's going to pay off all their debts. And Peter's like, let's do this like three or four more times just to kind of, you know, you know, get stuff, get stuff, you know, get some money in the bank. Right. Um, that's so real. I just love how real the apostles are. So Matthew, we leave Matthew. So we we see, we saw Mary briefly on the shore. So we still have our four main characters. Mary was briefly on the shore. Mary witnessed it. There was some discussion of, you know, the wedding feast at Cana is Jesus's first public miracle. And so Dallas was challenged by his theological committee because he does have a committee that helps him. Um, it made up of, a, of a, a, Jew, a, a Messianic Jew, a Protestant minister and a Catholic priest. And they were challenged like this wasn't, you know, Jesus' first public minister miracle was the wedding feast at Cana. And so how do we have this miracle before that miracle? And the way Dallas gets around it is notice the crowds are sent away. So he's like, well, I didn't present this as a, as a public miracle, right? It was a private miracle. Um, so I, I like that little, uh, that little workaround. But Mary was on the shore, right? So we still have our four main characters. Mary, we saw her on the shore. Simon is now called and following Christ. Matthew was on the shore and observed it. And that's important because in his mind where everything makes sense and everything is numbers and everything is logic, this is impossible, right? His grid doesn't allow for impossibility. His grid of life doesn't allow for miracles and that's going to bother him a lot. And so we're setting that scene, that stage up that this is going to, to freak Matthew out really because he saw it with his own eyes. And so he can't deny it, but it doesn't register. It doesn't fit with his grid. It doesn't fit with the way he views the world. Then we have, we end the episode with Nicodemus and where is Nicodemus going? Nicodemus is going to find creepy John, because if you remember when they were talking about John the Baptist and John the Baptist baptizing and John the Baptist preaching, Nicodemus was like, does he perform miracles? Nicodemus still doesn't know who cured Mary and it's bothering him, right? So, so often we see with Matthew and Nicodemus, something bothers, something sitting with us incorrectly and we need to find answers. And so I think that's so often how the Lord works, right? We think we know how the world works and something changes that, right? Something doesn't work in the grid. And so we need to find answers. And so we start searching, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you can see it here with Matthew and Nicodemus, that there's something bothering them that they need to find the answer to. And who's the answer? But Jesus Christ. 
So Nicodemus goes to John because he has questions that need answering. And he's thinking maybe John will have the questions. I love Nicodemus as the seeker. He's really shown as the seeker. He has the religious knowledge. Um, it's so he's sort of like the Magi, right? The Magi had kind of this cursory knowledge of astronomy, of the Jewish writings, but they were seeking a fulfillment of that, right? They were seeking the answers. And so Nicodemus is kind of our Magi, right? He, he has all the knowledge. So some of this isn't sitting right with him and he needs answers. So I haven't seen any questions in the chat. I'm really glad that you guys have, you guys have, have talked in the chat. Um, yes, Christina. So the wedding feast at Cana, um, how are Jesus's disciples? You know, we don't really know in John's gospel. It just says that his friends were with him at the wedding. Um, so we don't know how many, right? We don't know how many apostles were with him. Um, but John's gospel tells the story in John 2 of the wedding feast. And so what Dallas is going to do is try to fit together, you know, Matthew and Luke, the synoptic gospels accounts with John. And what he's done is he's brought out this miracle of the fish. And then in tomorrow's episode that we're going to talk about, which I think is my favorite. I think episode five is my favorite. Um, he's going to try to now bring in John's gospel with the wedding feast. Um, and so he, what he has this kind of big puzzle to fit together. So I think tomorrow, um, I think tomorrow will, I think episode five is my favorite. Um, I think I haven't decided. Um, yes. So Nicodemus, I really love the fact that they've kind of um, portrayed Nicodemus really well, that when he comes in, the third chapter, he has these questions. He's been listening somehow. And um, I wrote a whole Bible study, actually. So I wrote a Bible study on discipleship. And one whole day, one whole session, one whole chapter is on the figure of Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus has always really, um, I've always wondered about Nicodemus. Because we just see him in the third chapter of John. And then he comes back to bury Jesus. Well, we see him defending Jesus to the Sanhedrin because he's a member of the Sanhedrin as well. Um, but we don't really know that much about him. And so it's like, who is he? And why did he defend Jesus? And, you know, why did he meet at night? Was he scared? Was he, you know? Um, and so I love that um, they're using Nic the character of Nicodemus because I think there's a lot there. So in that Bible study, I also focused on the character of Andrew. And so I love kind of looking at Andrew and how Dallas has chosen to portray Andrew as well. So there's some really great characters in the gospels that we just glance over. Um, I mean, poor Andrew gets forgotten all the time, which is sort of the purpose of that, that chapter in my Bible study is that we don't think about Andrew, but without Andrew, would we have had Peter? Um, you know, Dallas portrays it a little differently, but the gospels show us Andrew introducing, um, you know, Peter to, to the Messiah. So, but he gets so often forgotten. Um, and, and yeah, the events. Yeah, I agree, Christina. I'm not bothered by the order of the events either. Um, and you're assuming the mother-in-law will be cured soon. Hmm. <laughs> there is a, a pretty big setup there, right? So I actually don't remember what episode this happens in, but, um, but yes, hold tight. So um, if there are no other questions, so tomorrow will be episode five, which is the wedding feast at Cana. I think it's my favorite. Um, and then we're going to take a break over the weekend. I'm actually doing an intensive chosen watch party with some youth ministers on Saturday at um, someone's home theater. So we are going to be watching the entire season again, which I think makes it my seventh time, I think. Um, 
So we were going to take the break. We're going to take a break for the weekend. And we'll come back on Monday and uh, 3.30, same time, to look at episode six. Tuesday will be seven. Wednesday will be eight. Um, I know it's hard to find me on YouTube sometimes. So I am going to, I'm going to try to update my Instagram with the latest link. Um, you can, you can find it. If you find my channel, you can find the upcoming live streams, but I am going to try to update my Instagram every day with the latest link. So, um, if you're not subscribed on YouTube, this is just a pitch for please subscribe. Um, I actually need a hundred subscribers to be able to rename my channel, Joan M. Watson. So part of the difficulty is that, um, if you aren't subscribed, it's hard to find me. If you search for me, you find Elementary with Joan Watson with Lucy Liu from CBS, that Sherlock Holmes show. Um, and so I need 100 subscribers to rename my YouTube channel. So I'm going to put out a plea on Instagram. But if you're not subscribed, it would really help me if you could subscribe. Um, and then once you subscribe, Christina, absolutely, you'll get the reminders. I'll be suggested on your page. The algorithm will know that you want my videos. So please subscribe. Tell your random friends to subscribe, even if they don't know who I am. I just need 100 subscribers to rename that channel. So if you need to find me, um, I talked about it on the podcast today with Mountain. It's hard because Joan Watson was stolen by CBS, their show. So um, stolen from me. So. Thank you all for joining me tomorrow, 3.30. We'll look at the wedding piece of Cana. Um, and until then, again, if you have questions, drop them in the chat and um, or shoot me DMs on Instagram and we will answer those questions. So thanks for joining me. And is it unethical to for extra? No, because Christina, you should absolutely, because I'll be providing good content for them. So yeah, I'm all about that. So. And then when I come to your school to give a chosen retreat, they'll know who I am. So thank you everyone for joining us. And I will see you tomorrow at 3.30 or whatever time it is in your time zone. God bless.